Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love and your care. We ask you to guide us in our study, and if anybody's on their way, that you bring them quickly. And we just thank you for this time. In your son's name, amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 81. My soul fails for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail for your word, saying, when will you comfort me? For I am become like a bottle in, in the smoke, yet do I not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which they are not after your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully, help you me. They have almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not your precepts. Quicken me after your loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of your mouth. So we're going to look at these verses. He says, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. So he says, I'm, My soul, my innermost being, faints or is wasted away waiting for your salvation. And this is kind of an interesting thing. How many times do we feel like God is delaying and taking his time to answer our calls. Almost any time he tests us, he stands back and we feel like we've been abandoned for a while while we're in that test. And here, David is saying, I'm feeling wasted. I'm feeling very faint. But, and I love this but, but I hope in your word. This is how we pass any test when we feel isolated and ignored by God. We hope in his word. We come back to his word and says, God's word says this. And we're able to then be able to be strengthened by it. And that's what I share. When I'm, when I'm having troubles, I remember Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. I b believe the word that God is sovereign. I believe that he is good. And by believing all of that, I can sit back and say, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust in your word. And that's what this verse is saying. I trust in your word. I'm waiting on your word. I'm, I have absolute trust that what you've said is true, and I'm waiting. And that is important for us to be able to wait on God with confidence because we know what the word says. And then all of our trials are basically to decide, do we believe what God says in his word? And David is saying, I put my hope in your word. He says, my eyes fail for your word. Yet saying, when will you comfort me? And this word fail is the same one as, as fainted above. It, it's wasted away. My eyes are f wasted away for your word. He, he's examining his word. He's, he's trying to be exhausted. He's completely spent going through God's word and saying, when will you comfort me? We've all been there at some point where we just feel, God, you're not seeming to comfort me. I just don't feel you in this situation. And that's why I liked God's Not Dead too, because it was a good example. And when the grandfather told the, the, the girl, she goes, my prayers are just hitting the ceiling. God's not answering. And he goes, you're a teacher. You know that when the, when the student teacher gives a test, the teacher is quiet. Oftentimes, God is quiet well, when we're in the middle of a test. And we're looking at him and saying, God, I just want comfort. Our only comfort will come oftentimes from his word. Sometimes it feels like an empty comfort. 
God, you say you're going to comfort me. You say you're going to be my protection. You say this, but it doesn't feel like it. And this is where we need to always understand feelings lie to us all the time. And we've got to put facts first. We put facts and, and faith up front of feelings because feelings will lie to us. How many people get divorced because they don't feel like they're in love? How many people get into an argument with somebody because they just feel like they're not speaking the truth? They don't have any real evidence or anything. They just have feelings that are leading them into bad decisions. How many times have we made bad decisions based on feelings? And God says, get the facts. Live in the facts. Hold on to what I tell you. No matter how you feel, when we feel like we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we may be going through the valley of the shadow of death. And he doesn't leave us. We may not feel his presence because we're being tested, but he doesn't leave. And this is important for us. No matter what we are going through, God's word is true. And we can feel like nothing's happening. We can be searching the scriptures to see what's going on in our situation. But the feelings end up leading us down the wrong way. Various times when I've talked to people and they're going, well, I just feel like I'm supposed to get married to this person who's not a Christian because I just feel like God's telling me that I'm going to be able to lead them to God. No, the scriptures say don't be unequally yoked. God is not telling you to do that. Your feelings, your, your emotions may be involved and probably are involved and they're lying to you. Follow God's word. And we see this over and over in our life. There's times when our, we just feel so strongly, but it's so wonderful. We have God's written word that we can look at and say, what does God say about this? Well, I just feel like we should just be living together and see if we can, if we can get along you know, before we get married. God says, don't commit fornication. And we see our world talking about it. And the statistics show people that live together are more likely to get divorced when, if and when they finally get married than those who just get married. And, you know, we follow God's way of doing it, and it works. We follow the world's way of doing it, and it doesn't work. And yet our emotions get involved so often. I just feel like this is true. And God is saying, I will give you my word. My word stands true. Very important for us to understand and accept his word is true. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, his word is true. And we have to hold on to that comfort of his truth. Verse 83, for I am become like a bottle in, in the smoke, yet do I not forget your statutes. Now this one's kind of a hard one to understand because a bottle in the smoke is a reference to what the wine, the, the, the skins start looking like when they're hung up in, the, in their tents and the smoke goes up in the, in this, into the tent and it makes the skin black, cracked, and dried out, especially when it's empty. And basically he's saying, I'm like this bottle in the smoke. I'm dry, I'm getting cracked, I'm looking dirty, and basically he's still saying, my emotions are, are saying everything wrong. God has abandoned me. And then he goes, yet do I not forget your statutes. I don't ignore your word. I'm going to continue, even though everything looks bad. I love this section. This section is so powerful. It's not a heavy duty in it, but it's very powerful. 
I'm going to follow God no matter what, is what he's saying. Even when I'm all dried out, I'm black with all the, the soot from the, from the smoke in the, in the tent, and I'm getting cracked, I'm still going to follow God. This refers us back to what Job went through. Loses all of his possessions, then he loses his health. He was the smoked bottle. And he'd been totally destroyed as far as he's going. And he didn't understand it. He didn't have chapter 1 and 2 saying what was going on. All he knew is he used to be rich and now he has nothing. And he doesn't even have his health. And what's really nice is his wife says, why, you know, Job, why don't you just curse God and get, old, get it over with and, and let him kill you? you know, and so a lot of people say that she said that you know, out, of, out of bitterness toward God, and there may have been, but it also may have been that, Job, I love you so much and I can't see you staying, staying in so much pain. Why don't you just curse God and, and end all this pain and misery? Because I can't bear to see you hurt like this. But it still wasn't good for him to hear those words, uh, whether it was out of love or bitterness in her heart toward God either way so we have a test for Job we have a test for his wife we have a test for his friends I mean it's a wonderful test when God puts a test together it usually tests more than just one person and we see over and over how our tests impact other people not just ourselves God's tests are our group test in many cases not just one person because we are not an island that to ourselves. we affect other people when we sin, we affect other people. When we do right, we affect other people. And God is always putting us through a test that others are involved with in our life. And that can be an interesting place sometimes. When a husband is put in a test in, his, in, in the family, the wife and the kids will suffer if they make bad decisions. And if they're a slow learner like I have been, the wife and the family suffer during the time that you're, that you're being a slow learner and God's pounding you over the head with a two-by-four, but the family suffers as well in the same process. And here he's saying, when you feel cracked and dry, hold on to God's word. Hold on to the fact that God's going to work everything good, that he is in control, that he is just up there in heaven saying, have you considered my servant? And sometimes that's all of our test. Have you considered my servant? Go ahead and put them through a test. Run them through the ringer. They won't, they won't depart from me and we're put on the witness stand before heaven to say will you stand will you stand faithful and here david is saying even when i'm dried and cracked i'm going to i'm going to stick with you god i'm going to stick with your statutes verse 84 how many are the days of your servant when will you execute judgment on them that persecute me you know like this is again he's starting this is, this is classic David. I'm complaining about, he's complaining about everything. God, how long will I, am I going to be al alive? How long is it going to be until you judge those who are giving me a hard time? Spent years running from Saul. You know, and that's an amazing thing. He, he would not touch Saul. He would not kill Saul, even though he was anointed king by Samuel. He had the authority granted to him to go against Saul and take the kingdom, but he would not do that. Much of it probably was because he cared so much about Jonathan. He wanted to make sure that there wasn't going to be a battle between him and Jonathan. He wanted God to take it out of, the, out of their hands and put it into his. But he would never touch Saul. Even though he's anointed king, 
Even though he's king in God's eyes at that point, he would not touch. And that's probably part of where he's looking at. You know, God, uh, how long am I going to live? You, know, you're, you're, you said I'm king, but yet I'm not there. You said that I'm going to have this. And we look at David's life. David had trouble most of his lifetime. He had trouble be running from Saul. He had trouble when he had the adulterous affair with Bathsheba and then the murder of Uriah. And part of his punishment was that the sword would never depart from his home. And his family are going to spend lots of time fighting one another. But David has this sword that doesn't depart from his family. After David's sin with Bathsheba, he's restored. The child that he, that he and Bathsheba have is, dies. Then David's son rapes his daughter Tamar. Absalom kills his son. <laughs> David never punishes either one of them because he really has a hard time. He's a very bad father. But he also understands, you know, I've sinned, I, I committed adultery, and I murdered, so how can I discipline this son of mine, is his attitude. And this sword comes in. Then Absalom rises up in rebellion against him. And David runs for his life because he doesn't want to fight Absalom. And all kinds of things happen after that. At another point, David numbers the people in his pride, and God says, okay, you've got a judgment, and he gives them three different choices, and people die because of David's sin. You know, David had a pretty rough life, and yet God calls him a man after his heart. Because usually he sought God. And he's saying here, God, how long will I live? You know, when are you going to give me judgment? I'm getting old, and I still don't see you taking care of all my enemies. And very interesting prayer that he's making. And we do the same thing. God, uh, how long are you going to just sit up there and, and not deliver? How long are you going to wait? <laughs> These aren't prayers that we haven't said at some time in our life, probably. God, how long? Uh, why, why does it look like uh, the, the enemy is having victory? Or as he says in the very beginning, how long will the heathen rage and, and seem like they're winning before you're going to judge them? It's an amazing thing that God's timing is totally different than our timing. He wants us to learn. He wants us to learn to trust in him and his word. And he wants us to grow. Most of our trials are to help us grow and make it that we can empathize with people, that we will be ready to go through the victories and realize that everything we have is by grace and that God has given us gifts of grace, not something that we earned. I've met Christians who think somehow they earned the right to be wherever they're at. I, I, I've been around walking with God for so long, that's why I'm where I'm at. And yes, in one sense, the longer you walk with God, the more perfect you're going to be, but it's still God's gift of grace that you've grown. But is it okay that, like you always say, Jesus um, puts us out for being perfect? But in my eyes, I'm not perfect. But I believe what... He says, but in my eyes, I'm not perfect. Well, we aren't perfect. I mean, I'll never be perfect. But we need to be understanding that in the spiritual world, God sees us as perfect. Yeah. I know that I'm not perfect, and I'm not going to try to claim that I'm perfect. God says that in the spiritual realm, I am perfect, because he sees me totally different. 
He sees me outside of time. He sees me the way I will be when I am actually glorified. Another word for what we're talking about, being righteous, righteous. Being righteous, acting righteous, uh, and this is something we've said many times. As we grow in Christ, we should be, we should be becoming more righteous, more perfect, more righteous, but that takes time. And it's God working out sin in our life. And this is why I challenge, especially it's my New Year's message. Look at your life. See, are you growing? Have you grown? Are you the same or different than you were a year ago? If you're growing and God is working things out of your life, then you say, thank you, God. Uh, and it's the same thing as anybody who's growing. And I love to use physical growth. If you have a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, and you see them every six months to every year or two, you know, you see this huge sprout of growth, but the parents kind of don't really notice it until they're saying, well, uh, your clothes aren't fitting you anymore. They're, they're riding above your ankles. I got to buy you some pants. How did you grow out of those shoes already? I just bought them, you know, six months ago, and you're already out of the shoes. You, you know, you, when you look at where am I today as opposed to yesterday, I don't see the growth. If I look back over a year or two or three, I should see spiritual growth. What I did three years ago, I don't do. I wouldn't even think about doing it. Or what I did three years ago, I'm now convicted about doing. And I'm going, okay, God, I'm growing. And what we're looking for is that growth. Is that, am I learning to be more like him? Now, if I'm going backwards or I'm not seeing any growth, then I'm going to have to look at it and say, God, uh, what am, what's going on here? And that may mean that we don't really trust him, whatever it might be. But I'm experiencing, in my life, growth. And I'm looking at people that seem to be experiencing growth and learning to follow God and you know this is this is what he's saying you know how long will you wait God and we've all been there where it seems like he's waiting that he's delayed and he's just saying will you trust me will you stay hidden in me verse 85 the proud have dug pits for me which are not after your law dug pits traps <laughs> how many times have you thought that people are digging traps for you, laying traps for you. Sometimes in the world they are. They're trying to make you fall. Daniel, when he was under Darius, he was promoted to the number two person again in that kingdom. And the, all the other leaders were jealous. So what they do, they went to Darius and said, Darius, all of us leaders have gotten together and we decided you should make a law. You should make a law saying for 30 days, nobody can pray to you, except to you. No God, no person. They can't make any requests. Why did they do that? It's kind of an interesting thing because it said they looked and they studied Daniel's life and they could find no error that they could charge him in. Nothing in his life was so bad that they could say, we got you, Daniel. You've got skeletons in your closet. They couldn't find any. So they wanted to make one. You know, and when Daniel heard the decree, he had two choices. He could pray to God, which is the one he chose, or he could kind of hide that he was praying to God. As far as the leaders were concerned, either way, he was dead meat in their, in their mind. 
Because if he refused to pray to God, he wasn't honoring his religion and his God, and they would get him for not, not being honoring to his God. If he prayed, as far as they were concerned, they were going to win because they would have him cast into a lion, lion's den. So as far as they were concerned, they won either way. How, God, how long will my enemies dig pits for me? <laughs> you know, how long? And they, they're not going after your laws, your rules. They're, they're going after me for the wrong reasons. They're going after me against your law. And in Daniel's case, we all know the story. He was cast into the lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions. And he, get, he was able to sleep with the lions for the whole night and was rescued. They threw in all the, all the leaders who had tricked Darius. And we found out that the lions really were hungry because it says their bodies didn't even touch the ground before the lions tore them apart. Pretty vicious. But it also goes to show that God supernaturally protected Daniel. These were hungry lions that God shut the mouths of. You know, how long, God, will you, will you let my enemies dig pits and try to set traps for me? The fun thing is to watch God deliver us from those, those things. We look at all these different things that Jesus went through. They, they laid these traps that they were sure Jesus couldn't get out of. You know, Master, what do you want to do with this woman caught in the very act of adultery? The law says to stone her, but you've been teaching forgiveness. Now, the interesting thing was, even though they quoted the law, they didn't quote the law correctly. The law said that the man and the woman in adultery were to be presented in stone together. And they caught her in the act, so the man had to have been there when they caught her. And they only brought her. So Jesus had an out right from the beginning. You're not even following the law, but yet he you know, said, let the man who without sin cast the first stone and they all disappeared and what did he tell her go and sin no more now Jesus confronted sin he didn't just say well I forgive you no problem he always said I forgive you but don't sin anymore in other words repent change your mind toward your sin verse 86 all your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. All your commandments are firm, steadfast. Yeah. This, whole, this whole little uh, six, eight verses is all about trusting in God's word. God, your word is faithful. It is established. It is true. All those guys that are persecuting me, they, they do it wrong. They have no reason to. I have not given them reason. I'm trying to follow you as best I can. They have no reason to persecute me. And think about this, persecution. We in America don't understand persecution yet, but it's coming. There's coming in a time when we're going to be persecuted. And we need to learn, we need to stand up for God no matter what. This is where we grab hold of Daniel in the lion's den, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, the... The time when Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego stood up and said, we're not eating the king's food. Uh, Elijah going against 400 prophets of Baal and saying, God, I'm going to stand on your side. We see Elijah standing up on God's side in all these, against all these false witnesses. And they, the king hated him because he would, say, he would say what God says and all the false witnesses were flattering his ears and telling him what he wanted to hear. We are living in a day 
when a lot of churches have watered down the message of God so that they can be acceptable to the world. They'll never tell you that fornication is a sin. They'll never tell you adultery is a sin. They'll never tell you that lying is a sin. They'll never tell you that, that homosexuality is a sin. Why? Because they want people to like them. Don't, don't persecute us. We're going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to give you your itching ears. Most of the prophets went through that same process. They would go before the king and tell the king the truth, and then their false prophets would come in and tell them what they wanted to hear. So you have one person speaking truth and 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, all telling them what they wanted to hear. Our life is, as Christians is going to get tough because if we hold up to God's standards, there's going to be a lot of churches out there that have sold out God's standards. And there are, right now, a lot of churches, a lot of denominations that have sold out God's standards and his word. And there's a handful that are still holding on tight. But as more and more churches defect over to telling what the world wants them to say, the harder it is when Christians stand up and say, this is what God's word says. Because they go, well, this group and this group and this group and this group all accept what we're doing. How come you won't? Because I can't change God's word. You know, well, they have the same Bible. Well, I'm not sorry that they can't hold to God's word, but we're going to hold on to God's word. It's going to get rough for Christians, and it's starting to get rough. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be jail time. There's going to be possibly even death coming our way. We need to prepare. God is faithful, but we are going to be persecuted wrongfully, and we just want to make sure it's wrongfully. We don't give them a reason to hate us, a reason to say bad things about us. Verse 87 says, They have almost consumed me upon the earth, but I forsook not your precepts. Again, this is our day and age. The world is trying to consume us. They're trying to make us look bad. They're trying to hurt us. But we need and must hold on to his precepts, his teachings. And this is critical for us. We only have one thing that we can hold on to as a Christian, and that is his word. If God's word says something, we must say what it, he says. We cannot water down his message so that people like us. We cannot water down his message so that people will accept us when we're not standing for God. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and be obnoxious. It doesn't mean that we go out and be unloving. You can say some pretty hard things to people if you show love to them. And we've got to understand, it is very unloving for me to, to not tell them that what they're doing is a sin. Because their sin will take them to hell. And we need to be dealing with sin. Now, does that mean we jump immediately on the, the hard sins to, to show that they're sins? No, we can, we can start with the simple ones. Have you ever lied? Have you ever... Have you ever stolen anything? Have you used God's name in vain? There's all kinds of places that we can work our way down without having to deal with the, the idea of fornication and, and homosexuality and adultery, which are all very clearly sins in the Bible. But we don't have to deal with those with them right away. Let God get hold of them, and then he will deal with where they're at. And the world is looking to consume us. Satan wants to consume us. He wants to get rid of us. And the more we're doing for the kingdom, the more he wants to get rid of us. 
If all you are is somebody who's saved and all you want to do is sit on the, on the pew on Saturday, uh, Sunday morning and listen to a message, you're not hurting Satan. Start opening your mouth and giving the gospel out to people and all of a sudden you're going to become a target. Actually come to more than one Bible study a week and start living out God's word and, and you start speaking, speaking the gospel, oh man, you're becoming dangerous. Get some results and man, are you going to be dangerous and, and looked at. But that's exactly what we need to do. Because we're not trying to do it in our own strength. We're letting God work through us. We're letting him be our protector. Verse 88, quicken me after your loving kindness, so shall I keep your testimony of your mouth. Quicken, make me alive. Now, one of the things I have found oftentimes is, especially with working two jobs, I'll come to a Bible study, and I'm, I'm really tired sometimes when I come to the Bible studies because I've worked a full day, it's been a long day, went to bed a little later than I should have, and, you know, and I'm tired. You know, after I leave these Bible studies, I'm, I'm very much alive and wide awake, and, you know, God has quickened me, and kind of sad because then I'm ready, I'm ready when I finally can go to bed, I'm wide awake. <laughs> but he's quickened, he's made alive. Have you been in that place where you just go, God, I need some strength, I need some power, and all of a sudden, he quickens you. He makes you alive after his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace. And it says, they shall... So shall I keep or guard the testimony of your mouth. God, I'm going to do what you say because you have made me alive. In Corinthians, we're told for you uh, that we're a new creation in Christ when we come to him. Brand new, never before living creature. He takes the stony, dead heart out of our life. He puts a new heart of flesh into our into our being he revives and gives us our spirit back do you realize that man without christ is has the spirit that's dead we are dead we are born dead in in the spiritual sense when we come to christ he quickens our spirit he gives us a live spirit and we have something that can minister in the whole with god very interesting because when we're before that we're just body and soul Body and soul, just I have life and I have desires. And then God comes along and he gives me a spirit that is, a, that is attuned to his spirit, that desires him. And our spirit and soul will battle each other for, for most of the walking, our, our walking days because they are opposite. They want different things. The soul wants to be fed and the spirit wants to be fed. And you can't feed both of them at the same time. And he says, I'm going to guard. God, I'm going to guard your testimony, your word. I'm going to guard. I'm going to keep it. When you say do something, I'm going to do it. Now, unfortunately, we don't all do that all the time. But the goal is to do what he says to do. And the more we do it, the better off we are. And I love following God's word. I love when God, when God has taken something out of my life and I look back and say, wow, I don't do that anymore. And I used to do it all the time. Even if it's not really a big sinful issue, just, wow, this is totally different. Life has changed. And we look at this. All right, verse 39, 89, the next uh, set of verses. Lamed, which means open hand or palm. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth and it abides. 
They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I should have perished in my afflictions. I will never forget your precepts, for they, for with them you have quickened me. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your pre precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but your commandments is exceedingly broad. So here David continues in the same, same line. Forever, O Lord, is your word settled in heaven. That's so powerful for us. God has given us his word. Who is the word? Jesus is the word. John 3.16, the word, uh, excuse me, John 1.1, 1, 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, God is the word. Jesus is the word and he is established in heaven forever. Our best use of our days on this world is to learn the word. Really learn the word because it is what will be our food in heaven. It is what is established forever in heaven. If I go chasing after material items and, and fame and fortune and all that stuff in this world, but don't seek after God, I'm wasting eternity. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. It just means I'm wasting eternal reward because I'm chasing the wrong things. I'm chasing after what will die, what will be burnt up, rather than eternal rewards. And here he says, your word, your word is settled forever in heaven. This is powerful. You want to have a good place in heaven? You want to know what's going on in heaven? Study the word. Get to know the word because it is established forever. It will not disappear. Your faithfulness is unto all generations. You have established the earth and it abides. God is faithful. And I love this. God is faithful to all generations. When he says something, it doesn't change. And we've been showing this over, the, over time as we go through the word. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And what do we find out? The more we study the Bible, the more we find out that what's going on today has happened before. Satan's lie to us is, you're the only one that thinks such dirty, rotten thoughts. You're the only one that acts this way. You're, nothing like this ever happens to anybody else. Whenever you hear those words being coming into your mind, go back to Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. He's full of baloney. Yeah. Our flesh is full of baloney if it's the part trying to do it. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. If I feel like I've just had such a rotten, raunchy thought that how could I believe, how could that have come across my mind? Somebody else has had it. That's a sack. Somebody else, no matter how bad it is, somebody else has had that thought. And not just one somebody else. Hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of other people have had the same thought cross their mind. And Satan has used this attack so often to stop people in their tracks. You are so awful. How could you have possibly have thought something so awfully terrible? You know, if anybody knows how bad you are, they, would, they, won't, they won't want to have anything to do with you. And you know what's so funny is when some people finally start giving their testimony and, and, and they talk about their victories, 
people will come up to him later on, you know, I'm glad you spoke that because I'm having exactly the same problem. You know, people have the same problems everywhere. And it is never going to be his faithfulness is established forever. And it says he established, he set up the earth, he laid his foundation, and it abides. This world will abide until the end of the millennial kingdom and the white throne judgment when, and then when God destroys it and starts a new one. Until that time, nothing man does is going to destroy this whole earth. Now, he may destroy portions of the earth. There may be a nuclear blast that will take out lots of the earth, but it will never take out the whole earth because God says he will do it at the end of the millennial kingdom. We don't have to be worrying about all this. Now, this doesn't mean we go out and chop down all the trees and, and, all, you know, and destroy the environment. But God also says that nothing we do is going to destroy this world because he's going to be the one that destroys it. We cannot fear all this stuff that people fear. There's so many people out there that feel, fear the nuclear proliferation. Now, it is not a good thing. Eventually, somebody is going to shoot off a nuclear weapon and cause a pretty big catastrophe. But it's not going to destroy the world. God tells us it's not going to destroy the world. We should be gone when that happens. It'll probably happen during the, during the, the, the tribulation period. But he says, I'm going to destroy this world. And his faithfulness, this world is going to abide. Verse 91, they continue this day according to your ordinances, for they are your servants. They continue this day according to your ordinances. Those who follow God and are obedient to him are his servants. Or literally, as we talked about this morning, his saints, those set aside for his service. If you're obeying God or trying to obey God, you are his child, even if you're not doing it perfectly, because you've got that heart that decides, I want to obey you. And that should always be our heart. When we are serving God, our heart is to serve him. Our heart is to be obedient. We're not going to be perfect in it. We're not going to do it all correctly, but you know, the greatest thing when you sin, or at least when I sin, I get convicted. I shouldn't have done that, and, I'm, and I want to go and pray and repent. Sometimes I'm slow at it. Getting better in my, in my older age. You know, I used to be really slow at it. But you know, when we sin, we should be, God, I am so sorry I did that. I, I, I knew better. I shouldn't. You know, we talk about falling into sin, but usually we fall into sin because we put ourselves in a place to be tempted in the first place. Now, every once in a while, we'll make a choice to sin. God, I just don't care. I want to do this. I don't care that it's wrong. I remember when it used to be fun. The only problem is if you take that attitude, it's not fun anymore. There's no fun at all in it when you choose to be disobedient. Because yeah. like, like you are. Yeah, I, yeah. You are for that moment, and you go, God, I've got, to, I've got to confess this, and then we go to 1 John 1 9. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of all on, of your sin and, all on, and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we sin, He will forgive. 
Now, having said that, there may be consequences to that sin that you have to go through. Some sins have heavy-duty consequences sometimes. And we've seen this, you know, we see people who say, well, they're young, they've got to sow their, sow their oats, they, you know, they're, they're going to do wrong things. As they get drunk and crash their vehicle and break their back or, or, or seriously damage their hips and suffer for the rest of their life, because somebody said, well, they're just young, we'll, we'll ignore them. They've got, they've got their problems. Yeah. Sin, consequence. Or they get drunk and they hit somebody and kill them and go to jail for a long period of, of life. All because somebody said, well, they're just young, it's no big deal. Sin is always a big deal. Yes, we can confess and be forgiven. Yes, we can confess and be cleansed. But there will be consequences on it. And there's consequences that must be faced. And we've got to understand that we don't do things God's way. There will be issues involved in it. Whatever it is that you're thinking about doing that's not God's way. And we want to be able to say, God, I've held up your ordinances because I am your servant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. I love this one in verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I should have perished in my affliction. How many times when you're going through trials is your only comforting what is what God says? I, because I enjoy your word, I delight in your word, and that's what I'm going to hold. You know, I oftentimes wonder is how do non-Christians cope with this world? I really do. I mean, I've been a Christian the majority of my life. And I focus on God so often, and I tell you guys, and I, and I truly mean this, when I go through bad things, I usually will say, God, thank you that you're in control. I don't understand this, but you're in control, and you're going to make it work for good. And nothing happens that you don't understand, and I just grab hold of his promises, and when you grab hold of his promise, you can get through anything. Because, God, I don't understand this, but you said it's going to be for good, and I'm not going to question it. It's going to be for good. What do you hold on to without God's promise? I'm going through a miserable, rotten time, and I don't have any promise that it's good. And the sad thing is, if you look at the world, most of them do not survive through their trials in their life. That's why there's drug addictions that are as bad as they are, and alcohol addictions as bad as they are, and suicide and, and depression is as bad as it is, because people do not hold on to God's word and rejoice in his word when they're suffering. If we can just rejoice in God's word when we're suffering, we have something to hold on to. You can't, you can't tell them what's going on. It's hard for them to understand. It's even hard for Christians un to understand sometimes that when you're going through hard times, you hold on to God's word. I just remember this little poster when I was a teenager. It was a picture, and I don't, you all know I don't really care for cats, but it had a cat at the bottom of a rope and, it, and hanging on the bottom of the rope, and it has this little saying, when you get to the end of the rope, tie a knot and hold on. That's how I look at God's word. When I feel like I'm at the bottom of the rope, God, I'm tying, a, I'm tying a knot at the bottom of this rope that it's your word and your promises, and I'm holding on to these, these promises with all I have because that's all I have to hold on to. And God eventually comes along and, and picks me up off the rope and says, oh, thank you for 
believing and he shows me how it's how it's going to work for good. Test will always make us stronger. Even if we fail it, it makes us stronger. And I've, we've shared this, you know, and, and I love using the illustration. You know, I've got this pen in my hand. I can curl this pen all day long, all week long, and I might get a little bit of muscle tone by just doing the curl. But if I really want to get strength, I pick up a barbell with about 10 or 20 pounds on it, and I curl the barbell, or 30 or 100 or whatever, you know, I, I, try to, I try to pick up my son's bar, uh, curling bar with both hands and, and curl it. And, you know, he, he, he curls about 45 pounds um, with one hand. So, you know, but if you want to get strong, you have to put weight on your testing. If you want to learn how to do something, when you, if you play sports, to really learn how to do something right, you keep doing it over and over and over again in practice so that when you get into the game, you no longer have to think about doing it. You just do it automatically. This is what God is putting us through on the test. He says, are you going to do this correctly? Uh, firefighters go through all kinds of drills so that when they get into a real situation, they automatically react the way they're supposed to. They, and they just drill it, and they drill it, and they drill it. And, and nobody has fun doing these drills. Nobody has fun doing the drills. They're boring, they're, they're long, they're, but you like the result afterwards. Same thing that you were just saying. God puts us through a test, and when we come out the other end, whether we fail or, or win, we still are closer to God. If we win and we successfully get through it, God says, you did a really good job. Thank you, my child, and there's a reward. When we fail, he still says, well, I'm sorry you failed, but I still love you, and I'm going to teach you to follow me. You know, and we're gonna, when you go through it next time, you'll, you'll learn to trust me more. But he still loves us and we still feel close to him because we've gone through something and his word is established. His life is established in us. And when we pass the test, man, that's such a wonderful feeling. God, I didn't understand it, but now I see it. And you know, sometimes we may not see it. Sometimes it may be years before we see why we went through what we did. There's probably things that we go through that we won't see till we get to heaven. And God says, I was so proud of you when you made that, when you passed that test. I know you didn't understand it, but I was proud of you in heaven. And you stood up in the courts of heaven as a, as a testimony to the angels and, before, and the demons, and you passed the test. Will we remember things like that? Uh, victories, victories, probably. Will we understand? Will we, will we know the pain? I don't know. We really don't know. It won't bring tears to our eyes. We know that part. But it won't be tears, but it could be, I went through a lot of pain, but this is why. And once I know why, it wouldn't be something that would make me sorrowful. As a matter of fact, it would give me joy. I went through this, and this is what God used it for. Wow, I, God, you are so amazing. It hurt, but man, look what you did for it. And it's so the same thing that people will say, well, how can you know somebody who's gone to hell and not be sad about it? Well, there's two answers to that question. Either God wipes their memory out of your mind, or because you understand that they rejected Jesus, and God has shown you all the places that they rejected, that they got what they deserved, they won't, they won't bring tears to you. 
which is that same thing that I'm saying that maybe we know, maybe we remember our pain, but because we saw the victory that the pain brought, it doesn't bring tears to our eyes. It brings joy. Wow. Yeah, that was really that. I that hurt a lot when I was going through it. But man, look at this. I won the victory. I won the race because of that hard time. Could it be either way? It could go either way. I tend to believe that when we know everything fully, it would be a big help toward us losing the, the painful experience because we see it for what it was. We'll understand why did I go through that. Because even in this lifetime, when you, when you, if you get taught, why did I go through this pain? And God shows you what, what came out of it. Doesn't it make you feel good? Okay, God, I didn't like the pain, but I see how you used it. My example that I use with you all so often, the six months of being in gout pain on my crutches, I'm going, God, not, I don't understand how this is going to be good. I really don't understand how me hobbling around in, in pain, not being able to sleep is going to be for any good and then a, a year or two later somebody comes up to me and says you encouraged me by your endurance it's encouraged me to work through my pain okay God now I understand it wasn't necessarily it wasn't for my good it was for somebody else's good I was just faithful and somebody else was blessed out of that being faithful does it does it make the pain any less no but I understand now what God used the pain for and it's like okay God if that's what you want me to do, if you want me to suffer pain so somebody else can grow, I'm willing to do it. Both Peter, uh, both uh, uh, Paul and Moses said the same thing. God, I am willing to go to hell if you would save the entire nation. Do we have that kind of love? God, I am willing to go through anything that you want me to go through if one soul will come to Christ. If a lot of souls will come to Christ, one soul comes, comes to Christ. In the office I've got in, on the wall, what is the one soul worth? What is the value of one soul? What are we willing to go through to see one soul come to Christ? Would we die? Fox's Book of Martyrs is full of martyrs who died and people have gotten saved because of their death. All through the scripture we see people who died and God used their death to bring people to Christ to him. Are we willing to die if people will come to Christ? I hope that I am. I think that I am. We won't know until we go through that, but what are we willing to go through to see God lifted up and glorified? To see somebody come to Christ and go, go into eternity with Christ? Am I willing to look foolish and stupid if they will get saved? Am I willing to look like a fool if they will get saved? Good question for us to contemplate. What are you willing to pay for one soul to come to Christ? It says, my delight. I delight in your word. Otherwise, I would have perished. My, my pain and suffering would have overwhelmed me if I didn't delight in your word. And that's where we are. When we're going through pain and suffering, we should delight in his word. God, don't understand it, but you are, you, you are faithful. You are good. You say, everything's going to work together for good. You are my protector. You're my... You're my you're my defender. I'm going to put all my faith in you. Oh, such victory comes out of that. You know, then you can have people telling you, like I was just told the other day, that you're, you're the most optimistic person I know. All I do is put my faith in God. That's all I do. 
put my faith in God and let him be the one that, I'm, that is my strength. Now that appears as optimism to most people, and it probably is optimism. But I am just so absolutely sure that God's in control that I'm not going to let anything else come out. And I tell everybody, and I, I tell all the time at the prison, you know, you're always in such a good mood. I go, I have determined that I'm not going to let anything make my day bad. If I have a bad day, it's because I choose to have a bad day. And you know what? I don't choose to have a bad day very often. I go, okay, there's a lot of things going wrong with this day, but God, you've got a reason for it, and I'm going to have a good day. Most of the world falls apart at that point because they don't put their faith in God, as this verse tells you. This would be a good verse to, to keep and meditate on. You know, unless your law had been my delight, I should have been perished in my afflictions. Very strong verse to, to think about. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for with them you have quickened me. God, I'm not going to forget your word. Oh, man, don't I wish I could put the never in there. <laughs> you know, I don't usually forget his word, but I would love to be able to say like this, I never forget your word because your word quickens me. Your word gives me strength. Your word makes me alive. It gives me life. It is your word. It is your precepts. When I concentrate on them, when I think about them, when I live them, God, you are giving me life because of my not forgetting your word. Uh, sorry. Not forgetting your word. Uh, but we look at this. He says, I am, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. I am yours, save me, because I have sought your precepts. God, I am seeking after you. I am, you're going to save me. You're going to deliver me. You're going to keep me. Isn't this the wonderful thing about God? He keeps us. He protects us. All we do is go, with him, go to him with empty arms and empty hands and say, God, I'm yours. Do with me what you would have me to do. God, tell me who to speak to, what to do, what to say, how to live my life. One of the things that we need to learn to do more often in our lives is to pray and ask God's guidance. Because so often, the last thing we think about doing is praying. Uh, and we even have a statement, I've tried everything else, maybe I should pray. You know, that is not a godly standard. It is not a godly way of doing things. God, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to pray right now. You guide me. God, tell me who to talk to. God, tell me what to do in this situation. God, tell me what to read. Show me how to understand. We need to bathe our life in pr more in, in prayer than we do. Because we do, as, as human beings, tend to pray after we've done everything we can do. God, uh, you know, I'm going to just do what I think I can do. And, oh, well, God, I kind of messed things up. You know, what, what should I be doing? Most of the time when I have to counsel with somebody, it's because they've tried doing things their own way against what the Bible says, and then they'll come to me and say, how do I get my life put back together again? Well, first off, you're going to suffer the consequences for doing it your way. We go from this point forward doing it God's way, and you're going to have to suffer the consequences. Usually what they want to hear is, how can I get out of the consequences by following God from this point forward? It doesn't happen that way. When you have messed up, you will pay the consequences. You will live with the consequences. You can do things right from that point forward, but you've got to live through the consequences. 
Now, can God supernaturally keep the consequences from happening? He can, he might, but he doesn't usually. Usually, we pay the consequences for our actions. And if you've lied, then you're going to have trouble with people having trust in you. And it's going to make things a lot harder when you start sharing the truth. Because they're always going to be looking at you, or for a long time, and saying, well, you lied to me before, why should I trust you now? A consequence, even if you tell the truth from that time forward, a consequence for lying, a consequence for doing wrong things is always out there. We reap what we sow. And we want to follow his precepts so that he will save us. Verse 95, the wicked men waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimony. You realize that when you follow God and you're listening to God, much of the time you see through. Have you ever looked and saw through the trap that somebody was trying to set for you? You know, you know they're, they're saying something and you're going, there's just not something genuine. God, what's going on? And God kind of just opens up, peels back their, their disguises, and you go, oh, that's what they're going to do. And this has happened to me several times when people have said something. They want to talk to the church or something. I'm going, and just something in, the, in me says, don't let them do it. And they start talking a little more, and then I realize they just want to lambaste the church. You know, they want to attack the church for some perceived sin or activity. And it's like, no, you're not going to come into my church and, and beat up on my people because you think they've done something wrong. And you want to beat up on me? Beat up on me all day long because I'm just going to let God take it. But you're not going to come into the church and beat up the church because that's my job to keep you from doing that. Uh, my job to teach them what God says. My job isn't even to beat up the church. My job is just to teach what God says. Now that sometimes convicts and makes people upset, but I want to do it in love. I want to let people know, I care so much for you, I cannot let you continue doing what you're doing, and here's what God says about it. But I'm not going to go in front of somebody and tear them up and say, you've got to stop doing what you're doing. I'm just going to tell you it's a sin. Now, you should be stopping sinning, but it's between you and God. Now, there are people out there that won't come to this church because I've said fornication and adultery are sin. And we've got both groups that won't come because I say that what they're doing is a sin. I'm not willing to go out and, and twist God's word and say, well, we'll just overlook it. I will call it a sin. Will I call them out? No, I'm not going to call them out. I'm not going to attack them. I'm just saying God says it's sin. And if we say it's sin, and if he says it's sin, I've got to say it's sin. I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you can't come to church because of your sin or anything. But if you're sinning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you're headed for hell. No matter what sin it is. And, you know, we talk about fornication, adultery. Those aren't even the big sins. When God in, in Proverbs tells us, these seven things I hate, what's he start with? Lying lips and, and gossip. You know, and those are things that people do not put on the top ten list or the top seven list of their sins. They would put murder, thievery, adultery, you know, uh, fornication, homosexuality. They'd put those kind of things up at the top list. And God says, no, lying lips and, and gossip I, and unclean lips is what he puts at the top of his list. Why? Because those hurt the spirit. They hurt the soul. The rest of them, they're bad. They're sin. But sin is sin. 
And only humans, we as humans try to categorize. This is, this is a really bad sin. Well, this one's not too bad. Uh, eh, this one's really not bad at all. God, God will forgive me if I do this one. It's sin. Now, are the consequences the same for certain sins over others? Nope. Sometimes consequences are very different. The consequences for adultery are much higher than the consequence for telling a lie. You know, but they're both sin, and the ultimate consequence is death. Eternal death is the ultimate consequence for every sin. So that is huge as far as the final consequence. The wicked have waited to destroy me. They've laid, my, they've laid their traps. They're out to get me. Going back to Daniel, they laid a trap. Daniel, are you going to pray to your God or are you going to back away from your God? We've got the perfect trap. You can't get out of this one, Daniel, because if you, if you give up on your God, we've got you because your religion has been proved to be false and we'll, we'll, get, we'll make sure that we're going to hammer you on that. You pray to your God, we got you, we're going to send you into the, into the lion's den. And it says, I will consider your testimonies. I will do what God wants me to do. Even if when I look at it and say, God, if I do this, then, then this is going to happen. In Canada right now, pastors have to decide whether they're going to preach against homosexuality, and if they do, they go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Been for decades. Been for a decade. If they preach against homosexuality, they can be thrown into jail. It's coming in our country. It will be soon that if a pastor speaks against homosexuality, that they will go to jail. How soon? I don't know, but it is coming. They already tried it down in, in Houston going after those pastors and trying to make them give them their, their, their sermons so they could try to go after them for hate speech. It's coming. It's coming very quickly for us as Christians. We need to be ready. I will consider your testimony, God. I will do things the way you say to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're the only one standing in this great big plain in front of this idol. You know, stuck out like sore thumbs, you know, Hundreds and thousands of people bowed down with their faces to the ground and three people standing. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, get over here. <laughs> you know, um, maybe you didn't hear. Maybe you didn't hear the commandment. Maybe you didn't hear the music. We're going to give you another chance. When you hear this music, you bow down, and they still didn't do it. Are we willing to do that for God? I've always loved their answer. Oh, King, you know, our God can deliver you, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we will not bow down to the idol. God is able to deliver us, but whether he does or doesn't, we will die for him rather than bow down before an idol. And they could have easily have bowed down and prayed to God instead of the idol and looked like they were, were doing it, but their testimony would have been destroyed. Because people would have looked at them and said, well, you bowed down to that. No, we were bowing down to our God. We, we were praying to our God. It just looked like we were bowing down to your idol. No, they stood up for God. We need to be ready to stand up for God. And, you know, if we can't be obedient to him now when there's no persecution, we won't be obedient to him when there's persecution and trials. The last verse in this section is we're a little over time. I have seen an end of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. He says, I have seen a completion. I have seen perfection. Now, I don't know that he actually had. He, he thought he had. But your commandments are even broader. This is something that I have said so many times. The longer I walk with God, the more sin he works out of my life, 
I could be saying, if I'm comparing myself to where I was 30 years ago, I could say, well, I'm perfect compared to what God was trying to take out of my life 30 years ago. But every time I take something out of my life, God shows me more that has to come out of it. He says, I have seen perfection. I've gotten to where you told me to be, and then I got into your word, and there was more to get out. A light was shown in just a little deeper and a little brighter, and all of a sudden you're looking down that, that hole in your in your in your soul and you're going, oh, it's ugly down there. I thought I I thought I had all the garbage out of it, and you look down there and go, yuck. Saw perfection. If you were his child, he saw perfection. Yeah. And the thing about this is, the more we've worked out of our life, the more perfect we are, the more sanctified we've become, God doesn't see us any different today than he did 30 years ago or when we started, 20 years ago when we started. Because he said when we became his child, he declared us perfect. And he sees us as we, are, as we will be when we're glorified, so he's not seeing us any better. All perfection, all sanctification is, is for us to draw closer to him. Also, even when we first got saved, we were like not real good. He sees it that same way now. He because what did he do? The three parts of salvation that we've talked about. When you came into salvation, God declared you perfect. From that point on, he sees you as perfect. And he knows that you will be made perfect when you die. We spend our life being sanctified. Our being sanctified is not to make us more acceptable to, be, to God because we cannot be any more acceptable to God because he declared us perfect. We are being sanctified so that we, that God, excuse me, that, so that God is more acceptable to us. As he shows me more and more of himself, I can accept more of his righteousness, more of his holiness, because I am being made more holy. But he wants us to do better. He wants it. Yeah. But he, he still sees us the same way, like the Savior. But he sees he us as perfect. Us to, um, to, 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 for us to grow. He's wanting us to grow so that he is more acceptable to us, that I want to spend more time with him. Because what happens when you sin? You kind of push back against God. Unless you go right into repentance, which is very rare, we push back against God. And when we push back against God, we push back against the Bible, we push back against prayer, we push back against the body of Christ. Why? Because we're going, oh, you know, God, you're too holy, you're too bright. I, I, it's hurting me to be near you. And the more we're sanctified, the more we want of him. But we still get to that point where all of a sudden, oh, God, you're, you're a little too bright for me. What did God tell Moses? Moses said, God, I want you so much. I want to see you face to face. And God says, you can't see me face and face and live. But Moses, because you and I have gotten so close, I'll let you see my backside. I'll let you see the back part of me, Moses, because right now that's all you can handle, Moses, is just the backside of me. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see him face to face and endure it because we will be glorified. Until then... But isn't this true? Don't you want God more and more as you've walked with him, as you've been sanctified, as you've cleaned things out of your life? You want more and more of God. At least I do. 
Most of the people I know, the more they, the more they work things out of their life, the more they want God, the more they want to be around God. Why? Because they're becoming more like him. He's not as harsh and bright as he was before. It's like, okay, God, yeah, you're still perfect. You know, God, there's a certain place where I'm not quite ready to come to yet. But God, I can come, I can come within 20 feet of you now and, and not feel so bad. It used to be I had to stay three miles away. <laughs> That's maybe a little extreme, but you understand what I'm saying. God, I want more of you. The song that, that I'm going to find the music for, I want more of you, uh, Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I've ever had before. I want more of his great love, so rich, so full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I give him more of me. The more we give of ourselves to him, the more we let him sanctify us, oh, the more, we, the more we desire him. At least that is what I have seen in life. The more we desire him, we give him more of us and the more he wants to give us. And he's really, he's, he really makes great deals. I give him a little and he gives me a lot. You know, God, I'm going to give you this little and he gives me a... He just, you know, God, I'm going to give you this thimble full of, full of me and he dumps a, a bucket full of himself on me. I love what God does. I love how he deals with us because he is showing his grace. He goes, oh, you, you, you've given me just a little bit? Oh, let me pour back. Let me pour back. You know, we cast our seed out to him and he pours back. We give him a little bit and he pours back in return. And it is so amazing to watch how God works and see him at work in our life and the way that he will guide and lead and protect and honor it is amazing to see God do all these things. And we're going to close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we thank you that you see us as perfect. But Lord, as we become sanctified, you, we get, you see us and we tend to come closer to you because of how much you have changed us. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you that is listening to this, that they will come and recognize that they're a sinner and they will recognize they deserve punishment and that you paid the price and come and believe in you and repent from their sin and put their full trust into you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.